Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. If you have your Bibles and you would turn with me, please, to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. Last week we had a little introduction to the book of Daniel. Today we're going to just jump right in. We're going to cover one chapter per week. If you were here before, you know that I encourage you to read through the first chapter at least, if not through the whole book, and I want to encourage you to do that again this upcoming week. Uh, If you would take some time and set aside and read through chapter 2, so that as you walk in next Sunday, hopefully you'll walk back in with us and join us as we worship and as we learn and grow. Um, but that you would read through and allow God to use his word to work on your mind and in your heart. Um, but I also encourage you, if you're able, to read through the whole, the whole book uh, throughout your week and so that you see the bigger picture of what's going on here. I'm, we're just going to jump right in. Chapter 1, I'm not going to give a whole lot of intro. I'm not going to give you a whole uh, little illustration. We're going to jump today, okay? And so I, my biggest fear is that I'm just going to puke all over you, not physically, but literally. Like, I don't want to puke all over you, and I'm sure you're saying I don't want you to. Um, but I, there's so much in the richness here. I want you to be able to glean from that, um, but I want you to be able to take the substance and go, go, go with you today, too. And, and, and I, I don't want to preach an hour either. So um, we're going to dig, dig in Daniel chapter 1. It'll be up on the screen. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you uh, to open it up and to follow along with me. I'll be reading from the, uh, the ESV version. Um, and so I hope that you'll see we'll read through the whole chapter, 21 verses, and then we'll come back and kind of digest it and take it pieces at a time. Daniel chapter 1. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar and the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youth without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has signed your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat of the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in the flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magician and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're thankful for your word, and we pray that as we dig into it now, that you would help our hearts and our minds to engage with your spirit, with your living and active word. Help us to see it, to hear it, and then to live it. We pray that your word would pierce our hearts, that it would change us, change our minds, change the way we live, change the way we think, change the way that we see you, the true and living God. And what your desire is for us, your children. Bless our time as we have opened your word. Make it come alive to us today, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we, we see here in the very beginning, Daniel recording for us. Daniel is recording and uh, he begins with, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. We see here in Daniel 1.1, this is mentioned as the third year. Daniel is using the Babylonian calendar. And as they use the Babylonian calendar, they start year one of any king as that first year. And then after a year, then they go into the second year. And I say that because over in Jeremiah 46, uh, chapter 46, verse 2, Jeremiah records for us the same event, but he records it in this way, that it is not the third year, but the fourth year of the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, that he has taken over. What's the difference? Well, there's two different calendars. There's the Babylonian calendar and there's the Judean calendar. The Judean calendar looks at the reign of a king and that first year as an introduction. And so it isn't until the first anniversary that a king is in their then first year of reign. And so the difference here, that discrepancy can be accounted for because there's two different calendars being used. Jeremiah is writing very clearly to, to, uh, to the Jewish to the Jewish audience. And while Daniel is writing to the exiles, to, to the Jewish believers in, in, the, in, in God, Yahweh, he is going to account, the way that he will write this letter is from a Babylonian perspective. We see here, and one of those examples is not only the, the dating and how he dates this, but also in, in the use of Daniel's name and his three friends. 
So here in chapter 1, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but he uses their real names a couple times. From this point forward, we will not see that. Why is that? Why is Daniel not accounted for as Belteshazzar, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are used for his three friends? Babylonian names. We're going to dig in. We'll look at that in just a little bit. I'll give you the reason why I think that's true. But it gives us a perspective, though, that Daniel is writing as he has been immersed in this culture, this Babylonian culture. So what has taken place? Verse 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he besieged it. All right? And so we see that in, in, in this time here, that Jehoiakim begins his reign in 605 uh, B.C., but now here in roughly 597, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in and he's going to take over uh, Jerusalem. All right, He's come to the end. Jehoiakim has come to his end of his reign and God has already foreshadowed that coming and here we are. And so as Nebuchadnezzar comes, we see Daniel recording this. In the next few verses, what I believe is the first seven verses give us the meat and then he's going to give us an example of what's going on the rest of the chapter, verses 8 through, through 21. And for example, we see here that in verse 2, as Daniel is writing, he says, The Lord, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord here is not the word Yahweh that most of the authors will use as they're writing in the Old Testament. Instead, he uses the term here of king. It's the equivalent of what we see in the New Testament of kairos, meaning owner, ruler, one who is over in charge, who is sovereign over things. Daniel in his writing is being very specific in helping his readers to understand. I'm setting up the stage so that you know, while yes, Yahweh is the true living God, I want you to know that our God, the Lord, the owner all right, the, the, the ruler, the sovereign one is going to be displayed throughout the rest of this text. And so the Lord, not Yahweh, but Adonai is here mentioned. And, it, and notice that Daniel writes, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Who's doing the action? God is, right? It's the Lord, the, the one who's in control. It wasn't like Nebuchadnezzar came in and did this on his own power. No, actually, God gave his nation away. As we walk throughout this text, and one of my biggest hopes and prayers as we look through the book of Daniel is we will look and see that there is one true living God. There is one true God, and he is in control of all things. There is nothing that happens in our lives and in the life of Daniel that we're going to see that's recorded for us that did not cross God's desk first and that he didn't put the seal of approval. Now, sometimes we wrestle and we struggle with that in our lives, right? Why would God allow this to take place? I saw that this week. I sat for four hours with two of my boys, two of my cross-country boys, who their father tragically and suddenly had a massive heart attack on Thursday night and died at the age of 53. 
How do you explain to them, to these three boys and their ailing mother? I don't have words. All I have is my tears and my presence. And a confidence that is inward that says, I still believe that God is good and that he's in control. That God is sovereign. And somehow, way, even though I can't see, I can't picture, I can't even make sense, it does not seem right that God is still in control. And he has a perfect plan. Here's Jerusalem, God's chosen people. And they've been taken. Their city has been besieged. And in a few years, the temple is going to be torn down and it's going to be all gone. And they've lost everything. Do you not think there were some who were shaking their fist at God? There are times maybe in your life that you've been there. Maybe you're there. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe you can't make sense of what's taking place. We go and we run to the scriptures and there's great comfort here. Daniel helps us to see that the Lord gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. In his purpose and in his goodness, God gave Judah away. We see that that was foretold in 2 Chronicles 36.5 and Habakkuk 1 and 2. We see the agony of these prophets as they share about the, the turmoil and the hardship of God seeming like he had abandoned his nation. And yet God was just true to his word. That if you choose to worship other gods, to fall away from me and to choose to go your own way, God had warned Israel, this is what's going to happen. And God being true to his word allowed it to go. We see here that as the, just as the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, the second part of verse 2, with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. What I want to do is, just for a moment, if you would, take your Bibles and go to Isaiah 39. I know this is the part where I'm hoping I'm not puking all over you, but I think it's really important, Isaiah chapter 39, because sometimes when we read these books, we, we don't see the connection that they have with the rest of the Bible. And so I want you to see um, what is taking place here, because in Isaiah 39, we see an account a hundred years earlier than what Daniel is writing about here. A hundred years earlier, something takes place. Let's read it in Isaiah chapter 39. At that time... Uh, Moradek Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them the treasury house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, and all that was found in his storehouses. And there was nothing in his house or in all the realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet 
came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, oh, they came to me from a far country from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There's nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers had stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons whom will come from you, whom you will father shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought there was peace and security in my days. What we see here in the account of Daniel is exactly what Isaiah was telling Hezekiah. You have shown all these goods. These goods are going to be taken from your kingdom and they're going to be taken to Babylon. What do we see in Daniel chapter two or chapter one, verse two? That the, the vessels of the house of God were taken out. And where were they taken? To the land of Shinar, to Babylon, to the house of the other false god, and placed the vessels in the treasury of this false god. What's going to happen? We're going to see just as Isaiah records for us in chapter 39, that even some of his sons are going to be taken away and made eunuchs. In the king's palace. Do you know what we see later in the text in chapter 1 of Daniel? Let's follow along. Verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility. There are some who would say that this is a combination. It's not an and or. All right. Or it's not an or. It's an and. That, that, that they were royal family and nobility. They were prized, meaning that Daniel and his three friends were of noble birth. They're part of the family tree of coming from ultimately of Hezekiah. All right. And so um, number verse four, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in wisdom, endowed in knowledge, understanding, skill, competent to stand in the king's palace. They were, they were to be wise, but they were also had to have this ability to be able to stand in the king's presence and to appear perfect and good, but had the skill to be there. And so as they were, they were to teach them literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them daily portion of food that the king ate and the wine that he drank, which we're going to get more insight in later in verse 8 of that. But they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Now we see who are these characters. We see among them were Daniel. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of who? Judah. Again, we see a fulfillment of scripture. When you read the word and you start digging in, you see that God does not lie. God keeps his word and he is faithful and true. Here they are from the tribe of Judah. The chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. What we see here over and over again um, is there's uh, a desire. Anytime a nation would, would conquer another nation as they brought in 
um, the fine and the choices of, of students, of children, of families. They wanted to uh, indoctrinate them with their religion, with their culture, with their history. And so we see that here. Backing up here just a minute, I want to go back um, into the house of the Lord, verse 2 there. With some of the vessels of the house of God. It doesn't say it in your text, but when you read it in the Hebrew, uh, there is an article. It, has, it says the house of the God. All right. It wouldn't read right in English. That's why I think the, the translators didn't put it. I think Daniel puts it here to once again emphasize who is the true God. All right. He, he says it here with some of the vessels of the house of the God. All right. Versus how he describes Nebuchadnezzar. And later on in the second part of verse two, he brought them to the land of Shinar to the house of his God. So it's setting up this tension that's building of the God versus his God. We see it from the very beginning. That's why I love these first seven verses, man. They, they really, they build the momentum. It's kind of like the, the, the background music of Star Wars, right? Or any good movie. Uh, like we, we watched, uh, um, oh, yeah, that, that too. I was thinking of another movie series. Uh, oh, Indiana Jones. I'm sorry. We watched Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones, try to listen to Indiana Jones or watch it without music. It's not the same. All right? It isn't. The music builds it and it builds this. the beginning of Top Gun. I don't agree with all of it and I'm not endorsing movies here, okay? Whether I watch it or not, we can talk later. But you take it without the music. The music is that undercurrent that gets your feelings and it gets your momentum and it gets your, your like your engagement to where you're right there and you're, you're there and you're, you're tuned in and you're you're heightened, your senses. That's what Daniel is doing here in these first seven verses. He's heightening our senses so that we would be aware of what's to come. That it isn't just the Lord. It isn't just Yahweh. Yes, it's the Hebrew God. No, it's the one who is sovereign in control of all things. And he isn't just another God. He is the God versus Nebuchadnezzar's God. And then there's this play on these characters. Plato states that education of Persian use began at the age 14. So it's reasonable for us to assume as we look at this that the Babylonians were convinced in training some of those that those use that they brought at probably the age of 14 or 15. Some would argue and say it was later it was at 20. You decide. You do the work. I'm just giving you what I think. I think Daniel and his friends were around at age 14 or 15 years old. Extremely young. Even if you put them at the age of 17. These kids, they're young. And so what do they do? Their intelligence is very important. We see that in the text. They had to have an, abil an ability to be competent to stand in the king's palace. To stand in his presence and to respond to his calling and his beckoning. And so as they were being brought 
to be part of this, they leave their royal family to be part of another family. These four characters, Daniel, which means, and I think these names are extremely significant as we move forward. Again, it's just like the music of, of, of those movies. It's helping us to see what's to come. And so when we look at these names, don't miss it. Daniel's name means God is my judge. God is my judge. So as Daniel goes on, we're going to think that over and over and over again. Who's Daniel's judge? He's going to live his life based upon his name. I know that there is one judge and he is God. Yahweh. Yahweh is my judge. And so he's going to live his life based on that. We never see Daniel and his name Belteshazzar, which means worshiper of Baal or one whom Baal favors because Daniel doesn't record it that way. He knows and he wants his readers to understand that it is Yahweh, the true God. It has nothing to do with Baal, what's going to take place. Baal is not dictating how he lives his life. Hananiah. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious or that Yahweh has shown grace. Given the name Shadrach, illumined by a coup, by the moon god. A coup was their moon god. So as their name is being changed, there's a focus from the true living God to these false pagan gods of Babylon. Yahweh is gracious to, oh, this person has been illumined by the moon God, not by Yahweh. We don't see it as God's grace upon this person. We see it as the moon God has illumined this individual so that they have the wisdom that they need. Mishael, Mishael, who is what God is? That's what his name means. Who is what God is? Meaning, there is no God like Yahweh. His name being changed to Meshach. Who is like Venus? Do hmm. you see the connection? This is yes, this is no. This is I don't know. Azariah means Yahweh has helped. Or Yahweh is helping. Abednego means servant of Negro. A false God who is the second greatest God in Babylon. There's a deep connection here that we cannot miss. There's a war that's taking place at a very early age for these young men. As they are indoctrinated over and over with an education, with an understanding, with astrology with every part of as they've been taken and ripped out of their culture and away from their families, they've been, they are being taught a whole new way of life. And they've been told, forget all of that. That isn't right. That's not correct. Here's the new way of living. Satan is pretty wise and he can be smart. But Satan hasn't changed his ways. From the very beginning, he chose to use 
God's word and he twisted it in the garden. He will continue to do that as we watch throughout this book, how he will deceive and use false gods to lead people astray. We would be wise to take the truths of what we're reading and seeing, to not be disheartened to the point that there is no hope. Think of yourself in Israel's shoes and you're watching your nation fall apart before your very eyes. And the king's choicest family members are ripped away from your nation and taken away. Never to see them again, knowing what they're going to be indoctrinated with. Left with ruins. Left hit with heartache and brokenness. Daniel never talks about the church. His prophecies that are coming, that we're going to study, they don't deal with the church. They deal with the nation of Israel. But there is deep application for us, even in this church age. I hope you don't miss it. Verses 8 through really 16, we see this account that Daniel is going to help us to see where Daniel, he starts this first sentence in this way, verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Why? There are some scholars who would say that even amongst the food and the feast, there was a commitment to the false gods. Part of their feasting was worship of those gods. And so as Daniel and his friends are there looking at this food and it's the wine, they're looking and saying, this is not what God desired. They know the Mosaic law. They've been taught the Mosaic law and they want to keep the Mosaic law. Now, I would just caution us just for a moment. Are, we don't live under that law. We live today under grace and we see how food has changed and even the meat that we're free to eat. We've been given that freedom. Does it mean that we have to? No. Would it be good for us to eat more vegetables? Sure. But don't make the text tell you that, man, we need to eat only vegetables. That's not what the context tells us. <laughs> That's right. So when we look at this, though, Daniel has a deep, and his three friends have this deep commitment there's a deep conviction because they know if they partake of that, not only is it against the Mosaic law that they would be disobeying, but they know it will be idol worship. And they weren't about to worship another false God. And so they go through this time 
It sees again, we, Daniel helps us to see who's in charge here. See, in verse 9, it says, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the eunuchs. It's God who is going before Daniel and his three friends to, to guide them and direct them and to lead them where he wants them. They're reliant upon him. And so that after the 10 days of this testing time, it's seen that they are better in appearance and fatter in the flesh. That's why I don't eat so many vegetables. I, I already struggle. I don't want to be fatter. I'm just joking. It's just, when we see this, we see the hand of God upon Daniel and his three friends. Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. What's it doing? Do you hear that background music? Seventh grade basketball team, I would come home, ride the bus, and I would pop in Top Gun. It was a VHS, and I would put it in there, and I would listen to the first, like, two minutes and 43 seconds. And I would just be all around, and it would get me so pumped up. And then I would hit the rewind button. Some of you have no idea what that is, but you hit the rewind button. <laughs> and I would listen to it again. And it would get me so pumped up and so hyped. And I was so ready for the basketball game. Man, Daniel is helping us to see. He's wanting us to understand. He's wanting the readers of, the, of Israel, the early exiles, that they would hear this. And that they would start to say, there's something coming that is of great importance. Don't miss it. We see this in verse 17. As for these four years, God gave them learning. And at the end of the time, verse 18, when the king commanded that they should be brought, the chief eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and they were looked horribly and sick, and they didn't know anything. No, that's not what it says. The king spoke with them, and among them, none was found like these. Notice their names here, like Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Daniel wants his early audience to see these men are committed before the Yahweh true and living God. And God has blessed them. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in all, every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king acquired, he found them ten times better. Now, there's different terms that are going to be used in the next few chapters here. Of all the other scholars or uh, here it says magicians and enchanters, and we'll look at that down the road. But 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And then we're, lead, we're left with this last verse. It says this, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, if you do a little history... You see that King Cyrus is the last king that Daniel will talk about here. And some will say, well, that's when Daniel died. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe Daniel died in the first year of King Cyrus because actually Daniel records for us. Let me see it here. In the beginning of chapter 10, verse 1. Daniel writes, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
a word was revealed to Daniel. I believe this is Daniel's time inside of the king's palace. Daniel gives us an overview. He gives us the beginning, but he also tells us the end date. The first year of the king Cyrus would have given his early readers an understanding because what happened when King Cyrus took over? King Cyrus, when he took over, he allowed Israel, the Jews, to go back and to rebuild. He gave the decree that the exiles of Israel were allowed to go back and to rebuild. And so that's where Ezra comes into play. Where Ezra will go and he'll begin the rebuild of the temple. And then we see beyond that from Ezra, then we see Nehemiah. Where Nehemiah is so distraught because there's no wall around the city. Here's his nation and they've been free for a period of time. Actually for quite a while. Hundred or so years. And the city wall still hasn't been rebuilt. You see, the beauty of the text is it's not just history. We get to see the God who's in charge. And Daniel, as he's recording for, not only for us, but for those early readers, they've been given an acknowledgement of who the true living God is. And even though there's pain and there's hardship and there's suffering, he is sovereign and he is in control. He's worthy to be trusted because of the example given by Daniel and his three, three friends. God provided, he protected them. I loved what Chuck Swindoll wrote in his Bible study, and, and I want to share it with you here. Imagine your 14 or 15-year-old boy lived hundreds of miles from his family, forced to take college-level courses in a foreign language, constantly barraged by pagan philosophy and surrounded by the intimidating sights and sound of a big city. There's no going home. There's no summer vacation. Only day in and day out brainwashing in the ways of the world. It would be quite the test of his beliefs, wouldn't it? Young people, listen to me. Listen to me very closely. I want you to know and understand there is only one true and living God. And if you pursue him with all of your heart and you love and you commit your life to him, he will never fail you. Never. And even in moments where it doesn't make sense and it's hard and it's tragic, God will never let you down. Do not abandon your faith. Do not turn to what the culture says is right and what is wrong. You open up your Bible and you read it and you study it and you challenge yourself. I want to know this God more because he is the true and living God. And for those of us who are not quite so young anymore and some of you who are more seasoned than me, come on. Come on. Who's your God? Here's my two points. Number one is this. The Lord is the true and only God. Do you believe that? There is one God. He is the creator of our lives. He is the creator of the universe. And he's placed you and I here for a short and brief moment. And he desires nothing more than for us to trust him. And to rely upon him. And to claim. And to admit 
We don't have all the answers. I can't figure it all out on myself. But I can worship him. And I can place him above everything else. So will you do that? I need that constant reminder. The second is this. We see from Daniel and his friends that there is an inner conviction that can overcome outside pressures. That when we're convicted in our innermost parts, that there is one true living God and what he says is true and what he says is the right way, regardless of what I think or regardless of whatever situation or scenario that I'm encountered with, he is always right. And his word is always true. And I can trust that. Will I obey that? Folks, we live in a culture that continues to indoctrinate not only us, but our children. And it's crept into the church. First, it snuck in. Now, it's just blatant. I'm not here to call out other people, but I'm here to say today, we, West Hill, need to live by the word of God. And what God's word said is the truth. Don't twist it. Don't try to make it fit your way and your theology. Killing babies is wrong. And God's word says it is. Regardless of the situation. It's wrong. Any kind of sexual behavior outside of the bounds of one man and one woman who have been bound together in marriage is sin. Any of that, premarital sex, homosexual relationship, it's all wrong. I didn't say it. God says it. Don't twist it. Don't make it say something it's not. We need to live by the convictions of his word. And as we live it, he will give us his grace and his favor. Will it be easy? No. And we're going to see those accounts. It's going to be very difficult. Good men and women have given their lives for the truth of God's word. And it is time that we in this generation for us as a church at West Hill, will you stand by those convictions? Will you be obedient to what he says and what he calls for you to do? That's our challenge this week. Are you up for it? It may cost you more than what you think, though. But I'm telling you, God is worth it, isn't he? He gave his son, Jesus. He gave his hope and he gave his life through his son. So that we could spend forever with him in a real place called heaven. Will you pray with me, Lord? Thanks for today. Thanks for your word. Thank you for being so good to us. Lord, for a long time, we have lived in a nation where it's been very easy. And we are encountering times now as believers where it's a little bit more difficult. And it can be challenging and it can be even depressing at times. Lord, I don't see where Daniel and his three friends ever got depressed. They continued to look to you. 
You are the God who is in control of all things. And even though our words may say that you are worthy of all of our praise, of all of our honor, of our trust and our obedience, Lord, until we live that out, it isn't real. So help us to take what is in our minds and what is on our lips and help us to live it this week. Not by our own power, not by our own strength, but by your power and your strength. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you work for your perfect will to be done even in spite when we fail and mess up. Lord, you tell us that you give grace to the humble. So may we be people who are quick to humble ourselves before you. That if we've sinned and done wrong, that we would confess it to you. Being quick to acknowledge that you alone know what is right. You alone are right. And we fall short of that perfect standard all the time. Thank you for your son and the blood of Jesus that allows us to come to the mercy seat. To come boldly before your throne. Begging and pleading and asking for your help. And so we do now. We ask that you would help us. As we live out the truth. That you continue to reveal to us in your word that we would do it in a loving and gracious way, just like you love us. We pray this in the name of Jesus.